I always tell people it's not about you, it's about them. First of all, you have to understand who is your reader. That's very important. For example, when I write on medicine, I understand I'm writing to physicians. If I'm writing to the general public, I take a different attack. Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Why is nonfiction writing so powerful? Hi there, my name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. Fiction is great because it can take you to another world and it can be also pretty entertaining. But there's something particularly special for many people and especially for me about nonfiction writing. I love nonfiction because it can encourage readers to act. It can change their point of view and it can transport them to another world. Now, I trained as a journalist years ago, and for a while I used to think that journalism is the ultimate form of non-fiction writing. But it was only much later that I discovered there are other types of non-fiction. So, for example, you can blog, or you can write content about a topic you're knowledgeable about, or you can write personal essays. A personal essay is basically a two or 3,000 word essay about a topic or a specific point of view where you explore what it means and maybe you challenge the ideas of other writers. Often there's a story in the personal essay because it's supposed to be personal. So it's a way of inserting yourself into an ongoing conversation between different writers. If it sounds a little bit like blogging, it can be, but generally personal essays aren't written for the web. Now, I've enjoyed writing personal essays over the years because they got me to think about the craft of writing somewhat differently to journalism and blogging. And I used various personal essays to write my latest book, which is called I Can't Believe I'm a Dad. Basically, I wrote personal essays about my experiences becoming a dad unexpectedly when I was 24 years old. And ultimately, those essays became chapters for the book. And then I rewrote the book several times before publishing it earlier in 2021. If you're interested in learning more about personal essays or creative nonfiction, there's a couple of writers I recommend you check out. For someone contemporary, read anything by David Sedaris. If you're looking for something a little bit older, you could read some of Virginia Woolf's nonfiction. But I also recommend checking out the journals of noted authors, particularly John Cheever's journal, which I read a couple of years ago when I accidentally discovered it in a university when I was taking a college course. And also journals and diaries by Annie Snin, because they really explain, I suppose, the viewpoint of a writer and the creative struggles that they went through and how they balanced their personal life with the life of You can also buy an excellent anthology of personal essays, which was edited by Philip Lopate. It's called The Art of the Personal Essay, and it contains dozens of personal essays, contemporary and old. So you'll find Montaigne in it from hundreds of years ago. And you'll also find essays by Virginia Woolf and by personal essayists from the latter part of the 20th century. Definitely one to check out. For this episode, I wanted to interview somebody who's an expert in the power of nonfiction and in creative nonfiction. So I caught up with Dr. Joan Smoller. She's a creative nonfiction writer, a writing coach, former lecturer at NYU and the author of three books. And she's also written for multiple high profile publications in the United States, including the New York Times. And in this interview, she talks about the power of nonfiction and how writers can use it to inspire social change and what nonfiction has done for her over the years. She also talks about why she's more interested in coaching new writers today. My takeaway from talking with Dr. Joan Smoller is a writing career can be diverse. 
Joan has taught, she has instructed, she has edited, she's prepared multi-million dollar grant proposals, she's written about topics like skin cancer, and she has also ran a successful writing program. In other words, the genre or topic that you're writing about today doesn't necessarily have to be the genre or topic that you'll pursue tomorrow. But what's more important is turning up and doing the work and writing consistently. And Joan, in this interview, talks about some of the advice she gives to her students the importance of writing every day, and also the value of free writing. And I was delighted when Joan mentioned free writing because this is a practice that I've used on and off over the years. If you're not familiar with free writing, Joan describes exactly how to apply it in your craft today. And she also gives some tips which can help you get over a fear of self-judgment. And this particularly resonated because I know many writers worry about what will happen if somebody close to them or a friend or family member reads their work and isn't happy with the topic or isn't happy with the stories in it. And Joan has some great advice which will help you get over that fear of self-judgment and the fear of what other people will think. If you enjoyed this week's interview with Joan, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store. More reviews, more ratings will help more writers find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And if you have feedback, I'm on Twitter. You can reach out to me at Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, J Collins. Now let's go over to this week's interview with Dr. Joan Smoller. Welcome to the show, Joan. Thank you. And it's so great to be speaking across the Atlantic. <laughs> it is indeed. Yeah, it's the power of Zoom, our squadcast or other tools that I use. So I wanted to talk to you about the power of creative nonfiction. Nonfiction is something that I love reading and writing. But before we get into that, let's talk about your career. You've had a, a fascinating career over the past 30 years or so. Could you walk through some of the highlights for listeners? Thank you. Yes. First, I went to University of Michigan. I'm from the Midwest in the United States. But then I received a Woodrow Wilson Fellowship to become a college teacher. And I went to Columbia University, where I got my PhD in English and comparative literature. And I worked as an associate professor at New York University. And while I was there, I created and funded a program called The Writer at Work. And we brought in all kinds of writers and publishers and editors to talk about writing. And that was both fiction and nonfiction. But that is where NYU, a wonderful colleague of mine, Walter Miller, a fantastic writer, termed me a creative nonfiction writer. And I think that's the important thing. I want to start out telling a story about one of my most happiest pieces of writing. I wrote in the voice of a mother for Red Book Magazine, a story about disfigured children, in particular her child, who had what was called an hemangioma, was a huge red bulb on the end of her nose. The child was born with that. That article led to a nationwide support group for those children. So that was just one example. I've written for lawyers. I just recently, we had a lawyer who had a client who had been put out of her job. And in the United States, some many times when you're out of your job, you lose your health insurance. And this woman had a very serious disease. And if she didn't see a certain doctor, she would die. And so this lawyer, who was an employment lawyer, wrote and I edited the piece for him. And it was so powerful that at 11 p.m. at night, the console for the company that had put her out called and gave her back her health insurance. And so her life was saved. So writing can be life-saving. 
it can also be very life enhancing. I often write resumes and cover letters for people and get them jobs. I want to tell one story about that one. Please do. I had a client whose house burned down and she desperately needed a job. She had gone back to graduate school and I wrote her resume and her cover letter. The sad part is, and again, I don't know if this is particular to any one country, but when she told people that her house burned down as she was trying to get jobs, she was told she has too much emotional baggage. So we didn't put that in the cover letter. But in any case, in three weeks, she had a job in a hospital as an administrator after I wrote her cover letter and her resumes. That shows the power of the written word. When did you write the article for, was it Red Bulb magazine? Red Book. Red Book. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that was some years back. And I myself, as I mentioned, I had had, fortunately, it wasn't the serious type, but basal cell and squamous cell skin cancer. So I also had had a bit of surgery on my face. And that is how I happened to get, I was involved with the top doctor at New York University Hospital, Dr. Joseph McCarthy, who worked with any kind of uh, facial reconstruction. And that is how I happened to meet the mother of this disfigured child and how I, I wrote that article. And that group is still ongoing. The young at the time, she was a young child. Now she's a young woman. She has kept that group going and helping people, I'm, I think, probably worldwide. Mm, I really like that. Well, another theme that struck a chord when we were talking before the interview and even when you were describing your career is the idea of a creative nonfiction writer. So, so what is it, in your words, will be a creative nonfiction writer versus somebody who's writing standard nonfiction or a cover letter, for example? Well, I honestly think it's it's partly an inborn quality that you have, that you just know what is the right word, what is the thing that is going to be most meaningful. And then it's a, a skill that you develop. You have to, I have a, a young man from Hong Kong right now that I'm working with, and I'm telling him, you've got to write every day. It's like practicing the piano. So it's a skill, but it's also I think it's just an an inborn talent with words. My late mother, who passed away at 104, was an extremely talented public speaker, even though she came to the United States when she was 13 years old. So it may even be genetic. I don't know. My grandmother wrote poetry. You just have a way with words. The other thing is now, at this point in my career, because I'm older, I want to support other people, anybody who would like to come to me you know, I think at the end, you'll, you'll put my information, but I listen to them, what they have to say. And then they say, I pull it out of them. So I let their voices be heard. And that's the exciting thing that I'm doing now. I, I work with one woman, for example, and she's an Asian American woman who is speaking about discrimination against Asian Americans in our country which has gone up a fair amount after the COVID situation. And I'm able to, as she says, pull it out of her and make very powerful what she has to say. It has to touch the reader. I I guess if I can say one more thing about it, in terms of certain kinds of writing, I do web content, as I said, resumes, articles, and so on. I always tell people it's not about you, it's about them. 
first of all, you have to understand who is your reader. That's very important. For example, when I write on medicine, I understand I'm writing to physicians. If I'm writing to the general public, I take a different attack. And that would change the tone and the language and how you explain concepts and metaphors. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can write on a very high level of research writing because I was trained that way at Columbia University. But that's not how I'm going to write if I'm writing an article about, for example, the discrimination against the Asians or helping somebody to write an article about that that's going out to the general educated public. Joe, when you when you think back on your writing career, did you purposely set out to write in specific genres or about specific topics or did they emerge organically? No. In fact, the story is, as I told you, I was fortunate, one of the few women in this country at that time to get a scholarship to become a college professor. So I was more involved with academic writing. But then I remember I was speaking to somebody and she said to me, oh, your eyes light up when you speak about writing. And I realized at that point that I was more, although I could be a scholar, I definitely could be and was, that I was at heart, I was a writer. And I think that's something you just have to know. I'm assuming you feel the same about yourself and where it comes from. (laughs) Yeah, I've always wanted to write. I struggled for a long time to figure out what topics to write about. And, And then I attended a screenwriting workshop by Robert McKee. And I was lucky enough to talk to him at the end. And he said, to go home and look at your bookshelf. And whatever you're reading, that's an indication of what you should write about. So I found that quite helpful. That can be very helpful. I mean, right now, at this point, I have written a lot about myself. I wrote a novel that I think three novels, <laughs> but I think there really were nonfiction, to be honest, very disguised nonfiction, not even so disguised. But that's one way. And also now, At this point in my career, I'm here to support other people. So whatever it is that they want or need, I will help them to write it. When it comes to supporting other writers today, like new writers, do you believe it's easier for writers today to earn a living or to connect with an audience or readers than it was years ago? I think it's easier in one sense because of all this media. So everybody's writing, 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 blogging, posting. You're supposed to be posting all the time. But I think it's much harder because people don't read a lot and they text. And I have that with my own kids. You know, it's like they don't express themselves fully. In fact, they express themselves in like, you know, OK or LOL or emojis. (laughs) My daughter just had a big surgery and, you know, how are you? Okay. I mean, okay. Is that it? Yeah. I suspect we're losing the art of the kind of wonderful writing letters, for example, you know, that you could keep and that you would read. And now people are communicating through text and email. And I guess it eventually gets lost. And also the type of communication is much, much shorter So like I'm doing web content for people, or as I mentioned to you earlier, I edit for a woman from Harvard and she's amazing and she's writing grants. But in today's world, it has to be very concise and very concrete and very specific. So is it harder for a writer to make a living? That's hard for me to say, but I think the kind of writing that's being asked for is different. Do you agree? 
I would say there's a lot of opportunities for writers online and the challenge is capturing the attention of readers today rather than get, getting published. I mean, lots of people will publish your work or you can self-publishing, but it doesn't mean anybody will read it. <laughs> That's the problem. In fact, I have to say, and I have grandchildren that I don't think they read very much at all. And everything snippets, really, when you read online, it's snippets. So to capture the attention. So maybe that's a real challenge. You have to really find exactly the right word. And anybody who wants to be a writer, a lot of people say they want to be a writer, but I say to them, do you want to spend hours just figuring out what's the exact word or the exact phrase? Now, I personally love to do that. And I'm sure you do too. I would assume so. A real writer just loves to go over things again and again and again. I was just reading about Hemingway that he changed uh, ending to one of his books 45 times, 49, 49, <laughs> my boyfriend says 49. So that's me too. I will sometimes, and sometimes it comes to me so easily and sometimes it doesn't, but I have to have just the right phrase, just the right word. And I will work on that for a long time. And I enjoy that. If you don't enjoy that, I don't recommend being a writer. When you're coaching your students and your clients, are there any common mental hurdles that you see they often have or problems that you help them overcome that you recognize in other writers? That's a great, great question. I think you have to be honest. And by that, I mean, or authentic, if you prefer. And many people are right now, I have somebody that I'm working with and he's brilliant, but he's too controlled. He's not letting his real subject matter come out. And so I recommend sometimes free writing, like for an hour every morning. And just, I know when I used to do that, sometimes a topic would come out that I didn't even have a clue about that I wanted to write about. I definitely feel that writing, and I think you have to keep writing every, you know, often. Those are the two things. And honesty too, sometimes you, I did a book about women writers, and that was sort of a breakthrough for me, writing the introduction to it, which I wrote in the first person. And I didn't even realize I had certain thoughts and feelings, but they came out and it was powerful. I free wrote as well. I, I found it a helpful practice. I kind of considered it as part of morning journaling or kind of like early morning pages. Absolutely. I'm glad you agree with that because I'm trying to encourage my current person that I'm coaching currently to do that. And it's very hard for him. And he's very, very smart. I think that's very important. If somebody's listening and they're wondering, what, what tips did you give that person? What would you say to them for free writing? Oh, I think every day. And I think you just have to write without worrying about punctuation or grammar. Just let whatever is in your mind come out and whatever it is and just and free associate. And I think those are, and if you really go free like that, but most people find it very difficult. I think our training in our universities, I had to break free from all the training that I had to become a good writer. And it doesn't mean the training doesn't play in. It's helpful for certain kinds of writing, but I had to break free from that. What prompted you to explore other types of writing that will be considered less creative. For example, I know you were involved in writing grant applications for, for significant grants over the years. Yes. What prompted you at the time to take on those kind of writing projects versus more creative writing projects? 
Because I'd imagine writing a grant proposal is very involved and, and technical and requires a lot of research. Yes, the grants I did at NYU because I had my own, I told you I created a program called The Writer at Work. And in order to fund it, I had to write the grants. And I had very large grants from the Rockefeller Foundation and also from the New York State Council on the Arts. So at that point, I wrote the grants because I wanted to fund my own program. And currently I'm working as a writer and I get paid. It's a way of making a small living for myself at this time in my career. And I was asked to write for this $40 million grant. I actually edited it. I didn't write it from start, but editing it. And I think I could, I could make it. You always need another pair of eyes on something. And that's what I offered. So I find, I just find it fascinating also. You mentioned that you wrote three novels during your career as well. Did you write them for fun or did you write them because you wanted to take on something more creative? Or was it a story you wanted to tell? I think that at that point, I didn't have kids and I had the time and I was working at NYU and I would work afternoons and evenings. And so in the morning, it just, I think sometimes you just, I wanted to write that. So I did. I can't explain. I think being, I believe as a writer, you're a vessel and certain things come to you at different times. I've written poetry also. And now, as I said, at this point in my career, I want to support others primarily. That's really what I want to do. When did you retire from NYU? Well, I, after NYU, <laughs> I didn't. I left NYU maybe about, let's say, 20 years ago. Then I went into high school teaching. Okay. And I was in the English department. I had adopted one child, then I adopted another one. And the NYU, I was working evenings, as I told you. So, so I taught uh, English and writing in high school. And that was very interesting, too, and very challenging. When you think of nonfiction today that succeeds, what does it normally do? You, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, that it puts the reader first. Are there any other things that nonfiction achieves if it's to succeed? Oh, my God. I mean, you can change the world if you write something that is very powerful. For example, I mentioned I'm working with this woman about discrimination against Asians, which has gone up since the COVID situation in the United States. I don't know about in Europe, but, and I think you, you can make very, very powerful impact and make very amazing changes. Also, depending on the kind of research that you do on I have friends who are journalists, I won't say for what major networks. And for example, one of them is able to find a murderer or stuff like that. It's amazing what you can do with your writing. Of course, it depends what outlets you have also. Oh, let me say one other thing. While I was at NYU with these grants, I did a thing about writing and healing. That helped many, many people who had very difficult medical situations. So you never know. You never know. What was the piece about? Well, actually, it was uh, my experience. And then we had numerous other writers speaking about how they used writing in their particular medical situations. For example, one of them had cancer and he spoke about and I wrote about how I used writing in my situation. As I mentioned to you, I was young and 
I had skin cancer and I was disfigured for a while and I had reconstructive surgery. And I wrote all about that while it was ongoing. So it was healing for me, but even more important, it touched many other people who were going through the same situation and it was healing for them. If somebody's writing about a, a difficult personal topic like that, should it be for themselves or should they consider publishing it? I think they should consider publishing. For example, somebody I'm working with now has a condition, and I don't want to say it, a psychological condition that many other people have. Let's say depression, for example. And I think if if that person wrote about it very powerfully, it would help many other people. I know it would, but he's not ready to write about it yet. How does somebody know when they're ready to write about a difficult topic? That's a good question. Well, I think sometimes it helps to have a coach yeah, <laughs> like me to keep pressing and saying, for example, some person might, might want to write about their sexuality, their sexual orientation, and they're afraid to open up about it. Or women who are afraid to open up about having been abused. So you have to get over that. I know when I wrote certain things about my family background and generally it was good but i was so afraid that my family wouldn't like it but they didn't mind at all <laughs> but you have to you have to have courage uh, you have to have courage to get past that and another person can help you a coach can can help you because i think if you write about anias nin i don't know if you knew her she was very famous for her diaries she thought nobody would be interested. Actually, millions of women were interested once she brought it out. You mentioned free writing is one technique that you use to help your students overcome fear of self-judgment. Is there anything else that you, you would prompt them to do or any other strategies that you offer? I think then you have to work at form. You know, is this going to be a short piece? Is this going to be a long piece? Oftentimes I find, and if I may use the baseball metaphor, as my father used to love to play baseball, often I find that you're winding up and then there's the pitch. So often you could cut out some of the beginning of what you're writing. You feel where it is that you're really, you know, pitching. That's where you're really hitting. And then I think it's a question of whether I think some people are long form writers. Some people are short form writers. So you have to know. And then again, if you have an assignment for a newspaper or a magazine, they'll tell you what they want. Mm. And you have to adapt to that if you want to sell it. You have to know your audience and the publication that you're writing for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then if you're like, I've been working on web content, which I find fascinating. And I work one-on-one. -on -one. That's the way I always work. I work one-on-one. -on -one with the person who has the website, what are they trying to communicate? And I try to help them put it into words. And similarly with resumes and cover letters, that may sound like a trivial thing, but it's not at all because it can help people get the job they want. I always work, I work one-on-one -on -one to hear what the person wants to say. So Joan, if somebody wants to work with you, where should they go? Or if they want to learn more about your writing? Yes, I have a website, www.resumedoc.com. My email is rsmejsr at gmail. Your website and email address, I'll include those in the 
description for the show. That would be great. Thank you very much. I would love to work with people. I especially would love to work with people that are non-native speakers and help them. Uh, but I would love to work with anybody throughout the world. As I said, I'm currently working with somebody from Hong Kong. I'd love to work with people in Europe. And I'm here to, I put it, make your voice heard at this stage in my career. Thank you, Joan. Thank you so much. This was great. All best wishes to everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please consider leaving a short review on the iTunes store or sharing the show on Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you're listening. More reviews, more ratings and more shares will help more people find the Become a Writer Today podcast. And did you know for just a couple of dollars a month, you could become a Patreon for the show. Visit patreon.com forward slash become a writer today or look for the support button in the show notes. Your support will help me record, produce and publish more episodes each month. And if you become a Patreon, I'll give you my writing books, discounts on writing software and on my writing courses. Thank you.